0: morning, Encounter. Um, I hope that you're all doing well. I am nervous excited about um, sharing the message with you today. I am nervous and excited. I don't know. I don't know. I can do this a million times, I think, and still always be nervous. Um, I just, I really did enjoy today's praise. And I sometimes, I just feel like sometimes I wish I could just read the lyrics of the songs that we sing for praise and then be done with it. And that is our message for this morning. But Uh, Just in case you missed it, the praise songs that we sang this morning are This We Know and I Surrender. And such suitable praise songs, I think, for this message, as we just recognize God's plan and God's path in our life and surrender to it instead of trying to be in control. And This We Know, just recognizing that his plans are higher than our plans and his ways are higher than ours. And so we are continuing on with our um, using the Exodus story As we move through a sermon series, as Pastor Jen has mentioned, um, titled Help My Unbelief, and I hope that the Exodus story has now moved from being maybe, uh, for some of you, the wall art or the blue bin uh, status in your life to something a little bit more important as we move through the Exodus story. But we have been talking about those moments in our life where we doubt God's presence, his character, his promise, and his plan. And as I begin, as we begin, I just want to take, I just want us to take a moment to think about those help my unbelief moments in your life, those crisis of belief events in your life, those circumstances in your life that cause you to doubt. And what are those times for you? Maybe it is when your grades are not doing so well. So you're getting into your desired program or your desired school looks more and more like a dream rather than a reality. Or maybe those times for you are like when a family member is sick or the relationships that you are in are not going so well, or when your work or your plan isn't going to what you were expected. What you were expecting. These moments causing your faith in God to get shaky, causing you to question and ask questions like, God, where are you? Can I trust you? Isn't there someone who can help me? What is going on? Didn't you tell me to do this? And did I misunderstand where you were leaving me? groaning under the weight of it all, feeling stuck and alone. Um, In this sermon series, it is just meant to be a reminder, whether you need to be reminded today or you will need to store this message for later, God's sermon series, this sermon series is a reminder of God's presence, God's path and God's promise in your life. And so last week's sermon, um, we talked about those crisis of belief moments, those help my unbelief moments of our lives that cause us to question God, his faithfulness, and is he really, really who he is? In a sermon titled, Taste and See, the Lord is good and he really is good. Um, we were reminded of God's presence in our life, that God is Emmanuel, he is always with you. And a scripture passage that I keep so dear to my heart and so near to my heart is Hebrews 13, five, which says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you that God is initiating a relationship with you. He will even go to the far side of the wilderness to meet you. He will meet you where you are. God is inviting us to join, join with him in his plan. And lastly, God is the holy, powerful I am. He is different to any other God. He is relational. He is approachable. He is all powerful and he is unexplainable. So, this week, we are going to be looking at the journey part of the Exodus story as the Israelites are walking through the wilderness. And here you may recall from Children's Church, if you attended when you were younger, soon after the 10th and final plague, the death of the firstborn Egyptian sons, Pharaoh allowed the Israelites to go worship God in the wilderness. But as they are leaving, Pharaoh sees them in the wilderness and he changes his mind. He pursues the Israelites and stuck between the Red Sea. And the pursuing bloodthirsty Egyptians, the Israelites, cry out to God. And so in Exodus 14, Moses is told by God to raise his staff, to stretch out his hand over the sea, and to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through on dry ground. And then, in a miraculous turn of events, beyond what the Israelites could ever ask or imagine, God demonstrates his presence God demonstrates his glory. God demonstrates his power. God parts the Red Sea, so the Israelites pass on dry ground. Now the Israelites arrive at at Mount Sinai to worship God, and here they are given instructions on how to worship him and are told what it means to follow him. And here they are given, you might remember, the Ten Commandments. Um, And from Children's Church, you might even remember the story of the golden calf. It fits in, in, in this area. And so as we As they travel through the wilderness following God, who is in the form of a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night, they arrive at the promised land. And so we find in Book of Numbers, in chapters 13 and 14, um, we are told that 12 Israelites are sent in to spy on the land and the people of that land. And 10 of those spies, when they all come back, 10 of the spies, just terrified, are trying to convince the Israelites not to enter. It's just too scary. It's just too daunting. They're too afraid. While the other two spies, and you, I don't know if you remember their names, but their names are Joshua and Caleb. And I'm sure they are afraid as well, just as scared. But Joshua and Caleb plead with the Israelites not to rebel against God and reminds the Israelites that the Lord is with them. And in spite of what Joshua and Caleb say, and in spite of all that, the, that they witnessed, God do to the Israelites with a demonstration of his power, the Israelites refused to go into the promised land. So God in his holy anger, now God pretty much lets the Israelites experience the consequences of their decision. He doesn't try to convince them to go in. He just says, pretty much says to them, okay, you would rather roam around in the desert than go into the land flowing with milk and honey, then go into the land that I promised to go with you in. Go ahead, roam in the wilderness. So recognize here, sometimes God gives us what we want and it, ain't, it usually ain't pretty. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours. And at that, they are sent to roam in the desert for 40 years until that generation dies, dies off. Now, this would take us to our scripture reading for today, but I'm going to change it up a bit because there are multiple passages and because it skips around in the Bible, we will just read them together as the sermon continues. And so as we continue... We've come to a part in the Exodus story where the Israelites are now on the journey, the walk through the wilderness. And to the people looking from the outside, it looks like the Israelites are just randomly going through the wilderness without any direction, without any plan, and definitely with no path. And yet, they were on a path. They were on God's path, with God's plan, with God's direction. And I'm reminded of a scripture passage taken from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, and it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And we just saying this, In this we know, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so the sermon title for today's message is, His Ways and Thoughts Are Higher. Um, doing, during those uh, help my unbelief moments of your life, remember, as Christ followers, when it looks like you're moving aimlessly, wandering around, and you feel like asking God, what am I doing here? Uh, remember, his ways and his thoughts are higher than yours. I remember, <laughs> and I'm going to be aging myself a little bit here, but I remember in er- um, the early days of the GPS, when maps and personal GPS devices first came out, um, I remember hearing stories about how some people were so dedicated to following the directions given by the GPS, how some people trusted their GPS so much that they followed it anywhere. Um, there is a fun clip from The Office. I don't know how many of you re- watch The Office, but I was just killing myself laughing, But uh, where Steve Carell's character, Mike, is just yelling at the top of his lungs. The machine knows where it's going. The machine knows where it's going. And all the while he makes a turn and he turns right into a lake. I don't know how he says these things with such a straight face, but he's just so funny about this. Um, but there's, there are actually real life stories, stories after stories of people following their GPS so religiously that they find themselves in the most challenging situations. It is unbelievable what people would do So in uh, 2009, the story goes, Robert Jones' reliance on his satellite navigation system nearly got the best of him when he was driving in West Yorkshire, England. The road began to steepen and narrow, but he still plugged on. It kept insisting the path was a road, he later explained, so I just trusted it. Jones only realized how wrong he was when his car bumped up against a thin wire fence just inches from a 100 foot drop. He managed to get out safely, but the car remained balanced on the edge. It took the recovery team nine hours to haul the car away and Jones was given a court citation for driving without care and attention. And so I remember my own GPS stories and I wonder if you have your own GPS stories. Maybe by the time you guys were using GPS, they've worked out all the kinks. (laughs) Um, But I was on my way to my cousin's wedding. Faithy was just two years old I was very pregnant with Evan, and my sister was sitting in the passenger side. We punched in the address into the system, and we were on our way. And then, one and a half hours later, now late for the wedding, we we would be lucky if we even made it for dinner. I called my dad, and he's the human map. He gave us the right directions and set us on the right path. And so, I was so dedicated to following these directions, so convinced that we were headed in the right direction. I didn't know we were lost. Uh, We kept Uh, until we were we kept being rerouted and then until it was too late the wedding venue was actually an easy 30 minutes north of where I live Uh, meanwhile the GPS took us one and a half hours on the other side of the city so in my life I have followed my inner GPS and I'm going to call that my inner PS so many times there are times that I kept following a particular path thinking I was on the right path in the right direction, whether or not it was a decision about school, a decision about who I dated, a decision with the work. And many of these decisions, of course, were based on ease, comfort, and security. I pursued my own plans, my own path, not looking to God, not looking to where he is or where he is leading and directing, trusting my own self, only to find myself making wrong turns and new turns, backtracking and um, rerouting Does this sound familiar to any of you? Finally, in my time of need, lost, and in a help my unbelief heart condition, where only because I was in a desperate place, where now only, my only choice is God, I called on my heavenly dad. Nowadays, I just wait on the Lord for direction, for his plans and for his path, his ways and thoughts are higher than mine. So I wonder what, or rather whose GPS are you following? Are you following your inner positioning system or are you following the so-called global or cultural GPS, listening and following only what society and culture says is right? Or are you following God's positioning system? And I love how that God's positioning system actually is GPS as well. <laughs> I was actually quite uh, like pleasantly happy about that. And so what is God's PS? How do you know whether or not you're following God's PS or you're, own inner PS or society's PS. And as we look at the Israelite story while we're walking, while they're walking through the wilderness, we can learn several things about God's PS. We can learn several things about God's path and God's plan. So let's take a look. The first thing we see is that God's path is treacherous. God's path is full of challenges and hardships. And so this is almost deceiving to me because I am tempted to assume that because it is God's path, and because it is God's plan, that because it is God's peace, we, he would make it easier for me, him being the almighty God and all, and him being the one who sent me on that mission, that he would make it easier, but that is not the case, and we see from the Exodus story, from the Israelites walk in the wilderness, they face challenge after challenge, starting with the Red Sea, God told them they would go and worship him at Mount Sinai, but because of the enemy. The Israelites found themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, and they sarcastically cry out to Moses. In verse Exodus 14, verse 11, it says, they said to Moses, was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die, to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out, uh, out of Egypt? Man, have you ever felt that way? God, didn't you tell me to go only to have me make a fool of myself and embarrass myself? Or God, didn't you tell me to go? And I just feel so exasperated. You sent me only to face, only to have me face the most difficult time of my life. And then we see in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, we are told about the natural challenges and hardships of living in the wilderness. That the wilderness was vast and dreadful. That it was thirsty and a waterless place. That it had venomous snakes and scorpions. Every day they were living with and facing the natural challenges that came with the territory. So not only is God's path hard and challenging, treacherous, because they were stuck between a rock and a hard place as they faced their enemies, and then because of the natural living conditions of being in the wilderness, but it is also a hard and challenging place because God used the wilderness as a place of discipline. And so Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 2 to 5, it says, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 2 to 5, it says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not God used the wilderness journey as a place to humble and test and discipline his people. And another word for discipline in, um, in Hebrew is to train. The wilderness was the Israelites' training grounds, a place to unlearn what they learned as slaves, and then to train them to learn what it means to trust and have faith and surrender to God. Some of you may know this already, but as a reminder, I think many of us think that because God said go, that the path is going to be easy, that the path has been smoothed out and that it's going to be without challenges and all the valleys and the peaks have been filled in to make it an easy, even ground to walk on. But know this, when God told you to go as a follower of Christ, When God told you to go to that school or to take that career, it didn't mean that all of a sudden life was going to get easier, you'd pass all of your tests and exams, or that you'd be climbing the corporate ladder with no problem. When God told you to go and become a parent, it didn't mean that there would be no bumps in the road, that you would have perfect angels, that they would never become sick, or they'd never lie to you, or they'd never give you sass. I wish that were true, but it's not. But when God told you also to marry that person, it didn't mean that it was going to be storm-free. But because of the hardships and challenges, we become disillusioned, facing my, help my unbelief moments, believing and thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Thinking this is unfair, God, second-guessing the plan that you are following, thinking maybe you heard wrong, or maybe God is a fraud. And this is the place where some people stop believing God. But remember, God never promised no storms, Remember, God never promised an easier life. I know I've definitely been there, at times only desperately clinging to the thinnest thread to the truths found in the Bible. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we may not always understand God's path or God's plan. The challenges and the hardships can leave you wondering, as it has me many times, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening to me? confessing to God, I don't know if I can take any more of this. You follow God's path only to find that you are stuck between a rock and a hard place fighting off the enemy. You follow God's path only to be facing the natural challenges and the hardships of this broken world, facing dry, thirsty seasons in life, which is natural because we are at this moment traveling in the wilderness where we haven't yet arrived at the promised land. But first Peter Chapter four, verses 12 to 13 reminds us, and I'm gonna be reading from the NL team, but it reminds us, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery um, trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Remember, in your help, my unbelief moments in life, moments where you're tired and worn out by the challenges of the path that you are on. Remember, the path is treacherous. You are traveling in the wilderness. The Exodus story is our story. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours. And so moving on, the second thing that we can learn from the Exodus story about God's path is to keep God in the center. So the first thing is, the first thing that we learn from the Israelites walk through the wilderness is the path is treacherous. It is full of challenges and hardships. And the second thing we learn is that we need to keep God in the center, in the center of our lives, in the center of our view. Numbers chapter 2, verse 17 reminds us, then the tent of meeting and the camp of the Levites will set out in the middle of the camps. They will set out in the same order as they encamp, each in their own place under their standard. And so, okay. So in order to understand about keeping God in the center, there are several things you need to know and understand about the Israelites. So we, as we already know, there are 12 tribes in Israel. And as the Israelites move through the wilderness, they are instructed to move together within their tribes. And each tribe, you can read about this in Numbers chapter 2, but each tribe was given a specific place to stand and to march and to walk and camp with respect to all the other tribes. And as it turns out, the layer of the tribes, the layout of the tribes was in the form of a cross. And at the very center of all the tribes, at the very center of the cross, was God's dwelling place, was God's tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where God dwelled. He was there in the form of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And whenever the cloud or the fire lifted from the tabernacle... That was a sign to the Israelites that it was time to pack up and move. God's dwelling place was in the center of his people. And so throughout the day in the wilderness walk, God's people would look to the center. Throughout the day in the dry, challenging wilderness, God's people would look to God. Throughout the day, God's people would focus on him. God's people would be conscious and aware of his presence. Throughout the day in the dry, challenging, difficult wilderness, God's people was attentive to God's leading, depending on him for their survival. He was their God's PS. And I'd like to challenge you to think about and consider how often during the day, as you walk in this life, the wilderness journey, do you look to God? And I'm not trying to point fingers and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or feel ashamed. But I, I want to help you reflect. I wonder how often during the day do you focus on God and are conscious of His presence? I wonder how often during the day are you attentive to God's leading, depending on Him for your survival? Are you following your own inner PS, or the cultural PS, or are you following God's PS? Brothers and sisters in Christ, the message here is just—it's just plain and simple. God needs to dwell in the center of your life. Your life depends on it instead of having God live in the back pocket like your cell phone, only to be pulled out when you need it. That during this walk in the wilderness, we need to be attentive to God for our survival. Only he knows when it is best to move and when it is best to stay. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So we can actually take this even further. You see, each Israelite, each person was responsible for being attentive to the cloud and the fire. Each person was responsible for being mindful of the movement of God. I don't think they had a bell saying, okay, everybody, God's cloud myth lifted up. It's time to move on. Each person was responsible for being attentive. And when God moved, each person had their own task to do. They are responsible to complete their own task. For example, each person was responsible for packing up their own tent, preparing to move. And yet when they moved, they moved together. Yet when they moved, they moved together with God. They moved as one body in the direction of God, following God. And the same goes for us here at ECCC. We have each been given our place to stand among the people, within this group of people, within this church. We are each responsible for being attentive to the movement of God and being responsible for the tasks that have been given us. So that when God moves, we can move together and follow God together. And I want to challenge you with this thought as well. Are you aware of God's presence? Do you know what task you are responsible for? And when God says move, will we be able to move together with God? And there are some of us who are not. Some of us who do not look to God throughout the day, and and I'm guilty of this too, so definitely do not feel like you're the only one in this camp, but some of us who Are not aware of God's presence and where He's leading and guiding. Um, I am not pointing fingers again, and I don't mean to. I don't know who you are in this crowd, um, but maybe you are in the help my unbelief heart condition, in that you are skeptical to whether God is actually moving or leading, or indifferent to the fact that He is calling you, indifferent to the fact that He's inviting you to His plan, indifferent to the fact that He has given you a responsibility. And if you are, pray to God cry out to God. Each person has the responsibility. Each person is called to look to God, cry out to God and ask God, God help my unbelief. God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So lastly, the final thing that we can learn from the Israelites journey in the wilderness about God's path is we need to look to the pillar and not for the plan. And I think uh, I mentioned the story before and I don't think our youth are with us, which is it's okay, because I'll, I'll be mentioning it to them this afternoon. But when I was learning how to drive, I think I mentioned this before, but I had an amazing driving instructor. And I remember the one thing he kept saying to me is, Susan, look where you want to go, look where you want to go, especially at the beginning when I was just learning to drive, wherever I looked is wherever I headed towards. And I remember my sister jumped a curve once while she was driving because she was watching a runner on the sidewalk. He must have been some kind of good-looking runner. Uh, You might be tempted to think that I'm talking about myself, but I'm not. Uh, She actually jumped the curve because she was watching him run. Um, For the Israelites, we lead in the scriptures, Exodus chapter 40, verses 36 to 38, in all the travels of Israel. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. And in Exodus 13, 21 to 22, it tells us, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. So they were called to look at the pillar. They were called to look at God. Whether it was a pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, they were called to look where they wanted to go. They were taught to look to the pillar. Whenever the cloud lifted or whenever the fire lifted, they would set out, they'd pack up camp and move. Whenever the pillar, wherever the pillar would lead them to go. Technically, there was no plan the only plan they had was to follow God. And I find this personally difficult and I wonder who else finds this a little bit difficult as well, Um, because I like to know the plan. Um, Even on the weekends when we have a little bit more leeway to relax, I always need to have a basic idea of what the plan of the day is. And if we can add the times to when those plans are going to happen, then even better and even better. But for the Israelites, there was no plan other than to follow the pillar other than to follow God. And when we follow God, he has the plan. He is the plan. I am reminded of a scripture passage taken from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And I think some of you are quite familiar with this one, but I'm going to read it from the NLT. Mm -hmm. And it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope brothers and sisters in Christ, in your help my unbelief moments in life, where it looks like the plans you have made are falling apart. Look to the pillar, look to God. He he is the path. He is the plan. In this world, we will face challenges. It will be hard for us to see God's path. There will be times when we feel like we are stuck between a rock and a hard place, fighting off the enemy, There will be times when we feel like there is no end to the valleys and the peaks, and the storms of life just keep coming. Or where the seasons of dryness seem to stretch on for months on end, and the training and the testing of God seems to be overwhelming. But keep God's dwelling place in the center of your life. Surrender to him and look to the pillars and not to the plans. God's ways And thoughts are higher than ours. Let us pray. In the song, in one of the songs that we sang this morning, it's just so fantastic, so beautiful. And I'm just going to read a little bit of the lyrics as we um, close off in prayer. It says, you are who you say you are. You are. And it's kind of reminiscent of last week's message as well. You are who you say you are. You'll do what you will say you will do. You'll be who you've always been to us, Jesus. Our hope is in you alone. Our strength in your mighty name. Our peace in the darkest day remains. This we know we will see the enemy run. This we know we will see the victory come. We hold on to every promise you've ever made. You are unfailing. Our God through the wilderness, our joy in the heaviness, our way when it seems there is no way. Jesus. And so, God, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time and for the message that you have shared to us that your ways and your thoughts are higher than ours, that we can trust in you and surrender all things to you, knowing that you are a good and perfect God, to put you in the center of our lives and to look to you instead of the plan. Mm -hmm. God, as we travel in this world, um, we know that we will face challenges. God, we ask for your protection and for your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.